Ethan, thank you, and uh, you students who have sung for us and with us for four plus years, thank you. You've blessed our congregation. Jeannie, 44 years at WSU, you're retiring? All right, let's just... We just appreciate them. Well, the last time we talked from the book of Revelation was two weeks ago. And I talked about the two beasts. One was a, a governmental system that would oppress people and persecute the church. The other was a religion or a belief system that would prop up the, the oppressive government. And then we talked about uh, the mark of the beast. And today we're uh, in chapter 14. Chapter 13 left us fearful. Chapter 14 tells us what's going on even while the beasts are ruling. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 13, verse 18, and then I'll continue through to 14, 1 through 5. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So chapter 13 talks about the two beasts. They're empowered by the dragon. Talks about this number of the beast, 666, probably for the people who are hearing this message for the first time. That was Emperor Nero. If you signed numbers to the letters of his name, Caesar Nero, it came out the 666. But the church will have to deal with beasts in every age of the church. So what do we do if we are living on the earth? Well, this is what chapter 14 will tell us. It will tell us about our identity. So let's go to verse 1 of chapter 14. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So Jesus is portrayed as the Lamb. Now, if we went to, Jesus, to heaven today, we would not see a lamb. We would see Jesus. But this is an image pointing us to a sacrificial death. This is why he triumphed. And he is standing on Mount Zion. If you heard this, 
and you're a Jewish person, you know, oh, that's Psalm 2. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now, originally, Mount Zion was the mountain on which the fortress of Jerusalem was built. But then it came to be known as a place where that was known as the city of God. We read this in the book of Hebrews. But you have come to Mount Zion, it's talking to all believers, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. So Zion is the city of God. It's all the people of God. And who is there? It says 144,000. Now we read that number before in Revelation chapter 7. And um, we read there that there's people from every tongue and tribe and nation among this number. We saw that the number was figurative. It represented a, a really huge number of people. And so these are the people who belong to God. And so in a world ruled by the beast, there are the people of God. And notice, the people of the beast have the mark of the beast on them, but these people have a mark also. On their foreheads is the name of the Lamb and of his Father. So we, the redeemed, have the mark of the Lamb. And this signifies ownership. We have a program here at church called Kids Day Out. Moms bring their kids on two days of the week and uh, from nine until one, and we watch your kids. And when the kids come, they get this name tag on their back so they can't reach it. And it has their name and mama's name and mama's phone number so that when mama comes back, we're not giving them the wrong kid. We know who they belong to because they have the mark of Eastminster on their back. You have the mark of the lamb on you. Now, what could that be? Well, earlier we read that the saints are sealed or marked by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit marks you as his. Now, the book of Revelation opens up windows to us and opens up windows into the spiritual realm. The mark of the Holy Spirit is a spiritual mark. The angels and the demons know who you belong to because of the seal of the Holy Spirit on you. You have the mark of the Lamb. Now, in verse 2, John says, and I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The, the, the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing the harps. And so John hears the sound before he sees it. And, and what he hears is, it sounds like thunder. You know, the low rumble of thunder you sometimes hear in Kansas. But it's melodic, like a harp. In 2002, I went to the World Series with the Los Angeles Angels and the San Francisco Giants. And I got to the stadium a little late because of a church meeting, but 
in the parking lot, I could already hear this thunderous roar from the crowd inside the stadium. Outside, it sounded like thunder, but once I walked through the tunnels and came out into the, the, the field area, the thunderous sound was actually a song. Let's go, angels. Outside, it was thunder. Inside, it was a song. So many people are singing at the top of their lungs. And so John says, I hear what sounds like melodious thunder, but when I see it, it's 144,000 worshiping God. A multitude of people worshiping the Lamb. And then verse 3 says, And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So they is 144,000. It's really a multitude. And they're singing a new song. By the way, our two hymns this morning are new songs sung to familiar tunes. Okay? You probably, when we sang that first hymn, you thought, I know that tune. Those aren't the words. New song, familiar tune. Our last hymn today, you'll go, I know that song, but it's going to be different words. A new song. All the saints sing a new song. Now, that 144,000, they are the Old Testament saints, and they're the New Testament saints. The Old Testament saints have been singing to Yahweh for ages. But now, they sing to the Lamb as well. They've been singing to the Father. But now they sing to the Father and the Son. They sing a new song. And only the redeemed, only the elect, can worship him. Only they can learn the song. Even only them can sing the song. This is telling us that only the regenerated can truly worship the Lamb. Now, regeneration means the Spirit has made your heart alive. It's given you a sense of, I know him, I love him, I worship him. Now, you can have people come into a church. We can put the words on the screen, and the people can say the words on the screen. They can even sing the song. But they're not worshiping him. Only the redeemed, only the regenerated can come into a sanctuary and worship him. Truly worship him. You know if you're worshiping. He knows if you're worshiping. I can even tell if you're worshiping. The redeemed worship the Lamb. Now, these people are redeemed from the earth. And the day that this was written, redemption mainly had this idea. If you had a debt so large you could not repay it, then they would auction off all your stuff and it went to the creditors. If you still didn't have enough, they would auction off your wife and your kids as slaves. 
and it went to your creditors. And then finally, you got sent to a debtor's prison, and you would work like a slave for this debtor's prison, and then whatever wage they would have paid you, it got paid to your debtors. Terrible, terrible life. Can you imagine it? But if someone loved you, they could say, how much is the debt? And then they would pay your debt. And they would redeem you and your family and your stuff. And they were called your redeemer. Now, if someone was your redeemer, would you love them? Would you be grateful to them? Would you be assured of their care for you because of what they paid for you? The elect are redeemed from people on the earth. And what was the price paid for you? It was the life, it was the blood of the lamb. And that makes your worth infinite because you're worth what was paid for you. In verse 4, we read, they were purchased from among men. And when you purchase something, you choose it, and then you pay the price for it. If you go to the farmer's market, you can look at some tomatoes, and you look at some melons, and you'll say, okay, I'll take this one, and I'll take that one. Then you pay for it. If you went to a cattle market, you just don't say, hey, just give me the whole truckload of cows. Now you actually look at each of the cows, the bulls, and you go, I want that one, that one, that one, and then you pay the price for them. That's what purchase means. This text is telling us you were purchased from among men. I want this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and this one. And then he purchases them. Purchases them at the cost of his own life, at the cost of his own blood. And that's your worth, the price of his blood. And that gives you infinite worth. So, let's say... Here's a $20 bill. What's it worth? $20, right? Okay. So I uh, crumple it. How much is it worth? I toss it to the ground. How much is it worth? I stomp on it and crush it. How much is it worth? $20. What's the price paid for you? The blood of the lamb. Someone mistreats you, what's your worth? The price of the lamb. If someone doesn't want you and discards you, what's your worth? The price of the lamb. If someone crushes you, what's your worth? 
the price of the lamb. When God purchases you at a price, that's what you're worth, regardless of what anyone else says. So these people are redeemed and purchased by the blood of the lamb. You're his. You've been bought at a staggering price. He sure must love you. He sure must want you. And if he's paid that much for you, he is not going to lose you. The redeemed, the elect, the 144,000, the regenerated Christians, they're all the same words for the same person. And these people have certain marks. And we see a few of their marks here in the rest of the verses. Verse 4 says, These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. Now, is that saying the 144,000 are all male? No. It's metaphorical. Because in the next line where it says, um, they didn't defile themselves with women, the next line says, uh, they kept themselves pure. But literally in the Greek, it says, they are parthenoi. Parthenon is a singular. Parthenoi, parthenoi is a plural. Have we heard that word Parthenon before? It's uh, the temple mount where they built the temple to the virgin goddess Diana, you know, in Athens, the Parthenon. Parthenon is a female virgin. Parthenoi is female virgins. So the males are undefiled. The females are undefiled. It's metaphorical for the people of the Lamb embrace sexual purity. Now, there's a whole spectrum of impurity, right? And people might want, might want to know, well, well, you know, how pure do I have to be? Well, how much mud do you want in your water? I want pure water. Drink pure water, not the stuff that's muddied. And then it says, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. And there's different definitions of follow, right? I could say, follow me on Twitter. And that would mean, well, you're halfway interested in what I might have to say. I could say, follow the doctor's advice. You know, I have this brace on my wrist because I tore cartilage in my wrist. And so the doctor says, wear this, don't use it. So, okay, I'm typing like this. And I'm like, I'm, I'm getting behind the curve. I need to get some work done. So, you know, I take off my brace and I start to type. And, you know, you actually use your wrist quite a bit when you type. And then it gets swelled up and then it bruises underneath and it just really aches. I should be following the doctor's advice, right? So I went to another doctor because I didn't like the first person's advice. And this doctor is my brother-in-law who's a hand surgeon. So I tell him, here's a diagnosis, and he goes, oh, yeah, you need to put that in a sling and not use it at all, and you better hope it's only 12 weeks and not six months. I guess I better follow what the doctor says. 
These people follow the lamb. You know, I went to a doctor once, and after they gave me my physical, the doctor said, you're overweight. And I said, I want a second opinion. And he says, you're ugly too. But we can define follow in different ways, right? I asked some Christians, are you a follower of Jesus? And they say, yes, he died on the cross for my sins. Um, well, that's something you believe. But that's not the same as following, right? These folks, the redeemed, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. You have to have a relationship to do that. You have to listen to do that. And then you got to do what he says if you're going to do that. When I was a kid, we would go up to the mountains in Southern California if there was snow, and we would toboggan. But there's no ski lift or anything. You just found a hill, and you'd walk up the hill and toboggan down. And, and if the snow was deep, it was tough. It's tough to walk in snow when you're a little kid. So my dad would say, well, I'll uh, make footsteps for you. And you just follow in my footsteps. So dad would go up, and I'd follow in his footsteps. These folks follow the lamb wherever he goes. There's another thing about these people. Verse 5, no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Now, if I was going to read this in Greek, and I did, it says no pseudo. We get the word pseudonym from it. It means false name. We get no pseudo. So it says there is no pseudo from them. They are spotless or they are blemishless. So let's talk about what they are. They're spotless. And we read about these people in chapter 7. It said that the redeemed had washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. So we know how their blemishes got washed. And it brings up the metaphor in Isaiah, if your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them like wool. Even if your sins are like crimson, I'll, I'll make them white as snow. And so they're, they're washed by the lamb. And because they're washed by the lamb, it says they're not fake. Okay, well, why is that? Because they're standing in Christ is actually a motive to not be fake. Here's why people are fake. There's a desire and there's a fear going on. The desire is, I want to be admired. I want to be well thought of. I want to be loved. That's the desire. The fear is, if you really saw and if you really knew, you wouldn't accept me or love me. So, let's be fake. But if you're washed, 
The washed can say, I needed to be washed, and I am washed. I'm loved, I'm wanted, I have worth. And all that was mine even though he knew everything. And so, I don't have to be fake with God. He loves me. And he knows everything about me. We may be worse than we thought. We are worse than we thought. But we are more loved and accepted than we could ever imagine. And if the kind of grace that God shows us could be demonstrated and lived out in the church, well, we wouldn't have to be fake here either. It's our standing with Christ that gives us a motive to be genuine people. We have a table that reminds us that we are washed, that we're accepted. We take the cup and we say, this is the new covenant in his blood, his blood which was shed for the removal of our sins. Do you really believe his blood has removed your sins? Believe it. It's called grace, and you live as an object of his affection and grace. And if we believe that, then we don't have to fake it. Instead, we will be saints who sing of his grace forever.